0: good morning welcome to cross Point already met one first-time attender and then uh, a whole family of first-time attenders from our upward sports and cheerleading ministry and so let's give them a hand welcome to cross Point good to have you it's a pleasure to be here today today's message is our final in a four-part series called strengthening the family today we're we're calling it hope for hurting parents from Luke chapter 15 verses 11 to 24. And if you come back next week, because we're all out of time, we'll finish this message, okay? Thank you, Tony. Just kidding. We will get through this. But let's get going fast. Let me start by asking, why do kids go astray? Why do kids play the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter? Let me be real honest with you. I don't know. I just know that they do. And I think we all, you know, have a sort of rebellious spirit in us. And uh, there is that tendency to, to as parents, uh, because we're human, we don't really know what to do either. Uh, but I've often asked the question, why is it, and I've seen this time and time again, you'll have two children raised by the same two parents, in exactly the same way, and one stays faithful, and the other one goes totally and completely haywire. Do you know what I'm talking about? It is just crazy. I don't fully and completely understand this, but I know that the Bible is full of stories. If you want to, you want to see some crazy families, read the Bible. You want to read about the first family? A guy named Adam, a woman named Eve, they had two sons named Cain and Abel. And guess what? Cain killed his brother Abel. Talk about dysfunctional. Talk about a prodigal. It doesn't get any worse than that. But raised by the same mom and dad. Noah, he had three boys, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham went completely haywire. Eli the priest great priest lousy dad and then um, Hannah brings her son Samuel to be raised by who this exact same priest remember Hannah the story give me a man child that's who raised Samuel she'd come back year after year after year at the at the feast and see him and bring him things and that sort of thing But guess what? Samuel was a great prophet. But again, that pattern, lousy dad. Fathers, mothers, what does it profit you if you gain everybody else's kids, but you lose your own? You ever hear that old story, the preacher's kids are like the worst kids because they're out there trying to save all the other kids and the kids at home are feeling very neglected. Never, ever, ever make that mistake. And then you got King David. Talk about a messed up family. It got so bad and chaotic in his family that one of his boys named Absalom tried to kill his own father, David, and take his kingdom away from him. Did you know these stories were in the Bible? And these are some of our heroes. These are the people we look to as, oh boy, I bet they had it all together. No, nobody has it all together. And so today I want us to look at a passage that shows us not why they go wrong, but what to do when your kids rebel. Are you ready for this? There are typically three stages to a child's rebellion. Stage one is the rebellion itself. Stage two is the reevaluation, And then number three, the return. Now all three of these stages can be found in the story of the prodigal son. And prodigal simply means reckless or wasteful. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 and 12. Let's get into it. Jesus continued. Oh, by the way, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories. They're all basically the same, but He illustrates it a little bit different. He continued. Continued what? Telling this story, but in a different way. The first story goes like this. There was a shepherd. He had a hundred sheep. And one of the sheep got lost. And ended up in a mess. And the shepherd had to leave the 99 and go find the one lost sheep. And when they found the lost sheep, he came back and he celebrated. What's he saying? He's saying that people are sometimes like sheep. And they get lost. And they end up in a mess. Jesus was paying us no compliment when he called us the sheep of his pasture. Because sheep are very dumb animals. Would you admit you've done some dumb things? You're a sheep. Then, he says, he continued, people are like lost coins. A coin was a very precious thing, and depending on the commentator and what you want to read and believe, it may have been a wedding coin that you were given uh, on your wedding day, and that coin was lost. And it ended up somewhere in the house and the dirt and the, the, the dust and the, the filth. And remember, the, some of the floors back then were just dirt floors and they would cover line them with leaves. And I lost my coin. And so what does the person do? She looks and sweeps the entire house until finally she finds that coin. And she gathers all of her neighbors together and they celebrate. I found my lost coin. And then the third thing, Jesus continued. That's what it says, right? He says people are like lost sheep, they're like lost coins, and people are like lost boys. And that leads to today's message. Stage one. Jesus continued. This There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me. The rebellion stage usually starts with, give me. It's all about me. It's all about self. Give me my share of the inheritance. So he divided his property between them. When does a person normally get their inheritance? When their parents die, when the father dies. In essence, this guy is saying, you know, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could go do my thing. My way, and I wish this family would butt out of my life and quit telling me what to do. This is that classic confrontation of rebellion. When you've got a wayward, rebellious child, this happens. Verse 12, Father, give me my share. This kid thought, if I could just do as I please, if I could just be my own boss, and my family would just butt out, life would be great. Where are our teenagers? Teenager section this morning. Teenagers, I want you to listen to me for a moment. If you've ever thought thoughts like, it's my family, it's, not my, f- it's my life, it's, it's my business, and I wish my family would butt out. If you've ever thought those thoughts, let me just tell you how foolish those remarks are. Let us illustrate. Ooh, preacher's walking down. Teenager section... Scary section. Do you want me to move over and talk to the dads and moms? No, let's stick over here for a minute. If you've ever thought thoughts like that, here's what you need to remember. You are a family unit. Suppose you and your family were in a boat stranded in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And there's nothing you can do. The boat doesn't run You you don't know where to go. And so all you can do with you and your family is sit there in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and wait for a rescue, hope for a rescue. You know, we told people we'd be in by now, and so maybe the Coast Guard's out looking, maybe a ship will come by, and there you sit. You get the picture? You hear what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, you are bored, because, I mean, what is there to do? It's just you and your family out there on a boat, and you sit down, under your seat in your boat and you take out your pocket knife. And under the seat, you're bored, so you just start drilling a hole in the bottom of the boat. Are you paying attention? And now your your family looks up and they see what you're doing there in the back of the boat, and you say, "Well, what's up with this? It's my life." It's my pocket knife. It's my seat. I'm not bothering anybody. Butt out of my life. That's about how much sense it makes when you tell your family to butt out of your life when you're doing destructive things. Because every time you do something to hurt yourself, it affects who? The entire family. Are you getting this? So don't reason that way. God, God intended you... To be born in the family that you were born in. No, He did not make a mistake. I know you think He did, but He did not. And He expects you to dwell in unity together and work things out and not go the wayward, rebellious way. So everything you do affects your family. Verse 13, "...not long after I wish you were dead..." the young son younger son got all that he had together and that's i'm thinking millions of dollars this is a very rich father he had servants aplenty and lands aplenty and he set out off for a distant country man he's getting as far away from home as he possibly can and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. Wealth, that's a word that means money, 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 money. This guy had a lot because the father had a lot, and he got half the father's cash. And there he heads off to Hollywood, and you can just see him cruising down the Sunset Strip in his camelack. I mean the The roof's down, man, and he's just taking in the breeze, and he's got a bottle in this hand and a bottle in that hand, and, and girls a plenty, and friends a plenty, and friends is in quotation marks, right? Because whenever you're flush with cash, you're flush with friends, especially if you're willing to spend it. But once it goes, well, we'll get to that part of the story in just a moment. So what do you do when your kid is old enough to leave, You can't control them, and they want to leave. Here's what you do. Number one, you let them go. You just let them go, because there's nothing else you can do. The younger son set off for a distant country, and you don't see the father running after this child, do you? He knows that I've just got to let him go. He's not chasing him. And I think it's one of the hardest things that parents have to do is learning when to hold on and when to let go. There comes a time in the relationship, hopefully it's the right way, where you're trained, they're ready to go, and they're ready to move out. They can fly away like a little butterfly and then start their own family. That's the right way. But when you know they're not ready and in rebellion they leave, you know this is going to end in a train wreck. And no doubt the father tried to reason with the son, right? I mean in this story God's the father but he's trying to paint a picture of an earthly father. And any earthly father in this situation you got you got to believe would sit down with their son before they left. Son is there anything I could say is there anything I could do to talk you out of doing this? This is a huge mistake. You haven't lived long enough to know what's out there in the world and the pitfalls and the dangers and you know all that stuff that you would probably say if your child wanted to go out and play the prodigal, and he didn't listen. And Now, when they don't listen, here's what you do. You let them go. God our Father doesn't make you stay, does He? Not one of you did God twist your arm to be here this morning. You came on your own. And He will let you go if you want to play the prodigal again. Number two. Let them make their own mistakes. Let them go and let them make their own mistakes. Verse 13b, He squandered his wealth in wild living. Wealth. A lot of it. Money. Lots of money. In his rebellion, he wasted it. Now let me ask you a question. you think his father knew he would waste it? Of course he did. And, and there might even have been the temptation, since he was a wealthy man... He could have had some of his senior accountants and uh, senior money managers. Uh, you know, here's where the city my son's at. Would you go and make sure he is investing the wealth in the proper places and the proper investments and, and make sure that it lasts and sustains him while he's away? But he didn't, thankfully. You've got to let your kids make their own mistakes, because one of the best ways that you learn anything is through pain. Pain, and this boy's about to go through some pain. Proverbs chapter twenty, verse thirty. It's not on the screen, but you can look it up. Uh, I, I like. Uh, I think this is the good news version. It's a modern speech anyway. It says sometimes. It takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. How many of you would agree with that statement? (laughs) How many of you are living proof of that statement? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I see a couple of you. And uh, we've heard testimonies from people in our church who formerly were on drugs, who formerly were in gangs, who formerly were in jail. Learning what? Painful situations to bring them back to God. Number three, let them go, number one. Number two, let them make their own mistakes. Number three, let them reap the consequences. Watch this. After, one more, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine, In the whole country. And he began to be in need. Ooh, this is a good thing. You're saying, well, that's a bad thing. No, no. Because when you're playing the prodigal, when you're out there in the world doing your own thing, you think it's fun for a season. But here's what sin will always do sin will always take you further than you ever wanted to go, it will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it will cost you a whole lot more than you ever wanted to pay. Those are the three things that sin does. And this boy's beginning to experience some need. He went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who, spent, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. You know anything about Jewish um, culture and Jewish um, food? You know, you're not supposed to associate and do anything with, I mean, I love bacon and eggs, but living back then, God had me born at the right season, I guess. Pigs! And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything to eat. Thank God. No little Jewish widow saw the Jewish boy feeding pigs and ran over there and said, Oh, you poor little Jewish boy, what are you doing hanging out with these pigs? Come to my house. I'll take care of you. I will feed you. I will clothe you. That boy never would have went back to the Father. See, a mistake that a lot of people make when someone comes to you and says, I need help, usually they're saying money, right? right? And that's what most people are saying when they say, Can you help me? You're a Christian. You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. Help. Ask yourself. Let the radar go on. Am I interfering with God trying to do a work in this boy or this girl's life? Am I rescuing and prolonging the inevitable by quote unquote helping? Pray about that. Use some discernment. But here, this boy. Now he's right. He's in the. He's in a great spot. Look at that. He's so hungry. This guy, he's got empty pockets, he's got an empty life, and he's got an empty stomach. This is a perfect place to be in if you're going to come to yourself and get to stage number two. Now, how do you think the parents felt? See, that's from the boys' point of view in this rebellion stage. How do mom and dad feel? Mom and dads feel terrible at this stage of the game. How many of you had children, don't raise your hands, but in your own mind, played the prodigal, got out in the world, ended up in the pig, pig pen or the real pen, and you hurt and you suffered and you were tempted to go and rescue Oh, I just can't stand to see my child suffering. I've got to intervene. I've got to do something. No, you feel sorry, but don't do it. Number two, how many have you ever felt embarrassed? Oh, how's your daughter? How's your son doing? Or have you ever met someone for the first time? Let's, let, let's put ourselves in this father's situation. He's meeting uh, another family. And you know how it often is in the first few minutes when you're meeting somebody new and you're getting acquainted. What do you normally talk about? Your kids. Hey, do you have any kids? Oh yeah, we we got a couple of boys. Really? What do they do? Well, one's in the family business and he's at home and taking care of things, and the uh, the other he's in a far country feeding pigs. Kind of embarrassing, isn't it? They feel sorry. They feel embarrassed. And then there's a sense of self-condemnation. What does every parent say in a situation like this? Honey, where did we go wrong? What what, what did we do wrong? Let me try to take away a little bit of pain, a little bit of stain. I'm sure there's mistakes made, but there's no perfect human beings. Therefore, there's not going to be any perfect parents. But we are not the only influence on our children, are we? Our children have a much greater influence in a lot of ways with this technological age in which we live. Television and iPads and computers and, and just society in general, the culture wars that are going on. And our kids have been given the same free will that we've been given. They can make their own choices. And parental responsibility really ends where your parental control ends. And so if you don't control your kids anymore, and they're in a faraway country, and they're out on their own, and they're old enough, well, they're responsible for their own actions. Now, the temptation is, when you see your child hitting bottom and they're in the pig pen, is to intervene. Or to bail them out. But because this father did not do that, we get to stage number two. Are you ready for it? This is the reevaluation stage. In the reevaluation stage, there is often regret on the part of the prodigal. Next verse. When he came to himself. Ooh, that's a good sign, isn't it? Where did he come to himself? In a pig pen. With empty pockets, an empty life, and an empty stomach. Some kids have to hit bottom before they ever turn around. I don't know why it takes some kids longer than others, but some kids do. When he came to himself, by the way, I heard about a preacher, country preacher, when he was reading this verse. He said, this boy was so hungry that he sold his coat for food. This boy hit bottom and he was so hungry that he... Sold his shirt for food. This boy was so hungry that he sold his shoes for food. And this boy was so hungry that he sold his pants for food. And finally, he came to himself. Are you getting this picture? He came to himself. I'm glad he did. Some kids never do. And he said, how many of my father's Hired servants, or hired men, have food to spare, and I'm here starving to death. I like this kind of thinking. Don't you always regretting his life? He's thinking back at home. And just the hired servants have way more than I do. I will set out and go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. What did he say the first time? Give me. What's he saying this time? Make me. Like one of your... See the transition. Do you see the regret? Do you see what's going on in this story? You never would have got to this stage had somebody intervened or had you intervened. Are you seeing the picture here? Does this make sense to you? Let's follow through with this story. Great attitude change. He wised up. He came to himself. Now, what do you do as a parent During this stage. Three things. Number one. You pray for your kids. Pray for your kids. Our kids are under the attack of the devil today. Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy your family. And he's going to start with your kids. So every day. If you're not praying for your children or your grandchildren. That's a huge mistake. Because the only thing that's going to keep back this wall of satanic influence is your prayers. Number two. Commit your kids to God. When things are out of your control, here's what you remember. They're not out of God's control. And number three, wait patiently for your kids to return. And let me say this again. Wait, wait, wait. Verily, verily, I say unto you, when I was growing up, my preacher read out of the King James Bible. And I asked him one day, I said, Brother Walling, what does verily, verily mean? He means it's something really, really important. Whenever Jesus uses a truly, truly, or a verily, verily, it's very, very important that you pay closer attention to what He's about to say because it's an important truth. This is an important truth. Wait, wait, wait. Don't intervene yet. Don't do anything yet. But pray, commit, and wait. Do not short-circuit the discipline that God is doing in your son or daughter's life. And because this father did it right, we get to stage three. The good part of the story. The return. Let's read it. So, he got up. Here's the boy. He's in a pig pen. He's a mess. Clothing, tattered. Smelly. And he went back to his father. How did he go back? Looking very different from the way he went, right? When he went... Brand new clothes, everything, money, had it all together so we thought. He's in tatters now. And while he was still a very long way off, his father saw him. What does that tell you about the father? He's always looking for the son's return. And if there's any prodigals in here this morning, any of you been away from God for a good long time, God brought you here today to hear this message. He's talking to you this morning and He's been looking knowing this day is coming. While you were yet a long way off, He saw Him and was filled with compassion. I could just see Him beginning to tear up and begin to cry and His chin began to quiver and little streams of hot burning tears starting to come down His cheeks. Ah, finally my son's here. And now He can't stand it any longer. He sees Him And he runs to meet him. Will God run to meet his wayward children? You better believe he will. He's running for the son. And he threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. Isn't that a good verse? Doesn't that make you feel good? Doesn't that just warm your heart? How do you handle as parents this crucial stage? Here's what you do. You love them faithfully. And I'll add, with a stubborn love. You keep loving them with snapping turtle tenacity. When a snapping turtle grabs hold of you, I didn't know anything about snapping turtles until I moved to Texas. I had a roommate named Linville Baker. If you're listening, Linville, on the internet, I'm telling a story on you. And he took this city boy horseback riding, and we went to a tank, and we took the saddles off the horse's, And we came to ourselves and we hopped into that lake. Well, we shot the water moccasins out first. And he says, make sure you shoot the snapping turtles too. And I go, what's a snapping turtle? He says, a snapping turtle, if it grabs hold of any part of your body, it will not let go. You will die. Something like that. So anyway, snapping turtle tenacity. You just love them and you hang on to them. He saw, the Father saw him and was filled with compassion. And so no matter how Far the fall, no matter how long the wait, uh, leave the door open for reconciliation for your child. If they open it up just a little bit, let them know you're always welcome when you're ready to come home. And we'll work it out. Number two, accept them unconditionally. He ran and threw his arms around him and kissed him. What were the conditions? You go take a shower, you get a haircut, and you change your clothes, and then I will hug you. Is that what he said? Then I will kiss you. You get your act together, you get your life cleaned up, and then we'll talk. No. How does he love him? Unconditionally. No conditions. And you say, but Bruce, how can I accept him without lowering my standards? You don't have to. Understand there is a difference between acceptance and approval. This is very, very important. You can accept someone without approving of their lifestyle. How do I know? Because Jesus did it all the time. My Bible says Jesus associated with publicans and sinners and tax collectors. Did He approve of their lifestyle? No. But He accepted them acceptance breaks down barriers. You want the walls to go up? Well, then you just put on your holier-than-thou, pharisaical attitude, and you will not reach prodigals. Let me ask you parents something. When your kids are at this stage, do you make it easy for them to admit it when they're wrong? Or do you make it hard? Hmm, told you so. I knew this would happen. I was wondering how long it would take you to come back home begging me to let you back in the house. Is that the attitude of this father? Not at all. The, the father didn't, in this case, because God's the father, he's representative of the father anyway. So he didn't need to confess anything. But usually when children come back home after a time of rebellion, there needs to be, because we're humans, probably some mutual confession, wouldn't you agree? Your son or daughter starts saying to you, Mom, Dad, I blew it. I should have listened. I had no idea it was going to be this hard. I had no idea what I was thinking. I was young. I was immature. I I really, really blew it. And as earthly parents, because we're not perfect, we probably should say things like, Well, you know what? We blew it in some ways too. And you know, we probably could have handled this a whole lot better ourselves. Will you forgive us too? Do you see this? It's a mutual confession. It's a mutually coming together and reconciliation. Yeah, there's going to be details that have to be worked out and all that sort of thing. But at least the the picture I'm getting of the Heavenly Father, when you and I return to Him, He accepts us unconditionally. Which leads, I guess, to our third point. And we will get out of here on time, I think. What do you do? Number three, you, co- you forgive them completely. You forgive them completely. When they come home, those prodigals that do come home, forgive them completely. Look, look, look at this, verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Quick! Bring the best robe. What does the son just said? Make me like one of your servants. And the father's thinking, What? What are you talking about? You're my son. You're an heir. You're in the family. Quick. Bring the best robe. You know what a family is symbolic of in Jewish culture? This is, this is not by coincidence that they use this term here. And every Jew listening to this message in Jesus' day would have got the figure and got the picture. It is a symbol of family togetherness. He's saying you're back in the family. Oh, but Dad, I'm not worthy. Just just make me a servant. Quick, go get the ring. You know what the ring was? The, The ring was probably the family ring. And on it had the family insignia and crest. And that ring would be the closest thing to our culture, would be like a credit card. If the father gave you the ring and put it on your finger, you could go do business for the family again. And, and, and fathers, wealthy fathers, would often have their children in the family and say, go to such and such a city and make the purchase and show them this ring and I'll, I'll be good for it. And when the delivery gets here, we'll send the payment. What He's saying is, I'm giving you some responsibility, son. I'm giving you a robe. You're back in the family. But you're back in the business. You're getting some responsibility. You you, you can do business, family business once again. And so that's complete forgiveness. That's complete responsibility. And that's complete trust. It's important to give them responsibility. Don't let them become dependent on you again. Because that kind of is what got, got them in the mess in the first place. And you can just see this child having totally blown it, maybe thinking, I can't even handle my own life. I, I've really messed up. I've not been responsible. I've not made wise decisions. And that's why he goes and he says, Dad, just make me one of your servants. You tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm a mess. You tell me when to get up. See, that's what a servant does. You tell me what to do. You tell me what to think. You just become a robot. I can't handle it. No, big man. That's how cults get started. People whose lives are out, out of control and they just want someone else to take over their life and tell them what to do. That's not the biblical way and that's not what you want to do here in this case. This father very wisely says, no, you get up, you put on this robe, you put on this ring, you accept responsibility, and you grow up. That's what he's saying. Kill the fatted calf, sandals on the feet, let's celebrate. Let's have a parby. Let's have a party. I almost said let's have a... Barbecue for Ben. Where did that come from? That's an old. Do you remember that? Whoa, that just popped in there. Sometimes half of you, most of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but two of you will remember. It was a skit, or not a skit, probably a play that we put on here at the church. <laughs> and uh, it was called Barbecue for Ben, and it's about the homecoming of a boy having a big barbecue. All right, so they begin to celebrate. Here's what I love about this God doesn't rub it in, God rubs it out. When your children return, don't rub it in. Rub it out. None of this, I told you so, I knew this would happen. The last thing your son or daughter needs is a sermon. they got sermon enough where? In the pig pen. They've learned from the school of hard knocks. So they bring out the robe. They bring out the ring. we got family togetherness. we got family responsibility. And I think this should be called the story of the loving father, not the story of the prodigal son. How about you? Wasn't this a loving father? Wasn't this a good father? It it shows how God deals with his rebellious boys. And this story has a happy ending because this father did everything right. In his grief, he held back and he watched his son hurt himself and didn't intervene. He, He let his son make his own mistakes, he let his son reap what he had sown. And then he waited patiently. And then when the son returned, he forgave totally and completely and gave him responsibility and helped them to grow. If we learn anything, though, from the prodigal son, that's what we learn from the father. If we learn anything from the prodigal son's story and the, and the son itself, it's this, and don't forget this, it doesn't matter how far away from God you've been, you prodigals I'm talking to this morning in our audience or on the internet, it doesn't matter how long you've been away. It's just one step back home. And you're back with the Father. Get it? Good. We close with this verse. For this my son, this son of mine, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. Ooh, I love this part of the story, don't you? Uh, Let's pray for those that still have prodigal sons and daughters out there. Will you? Will you help me pray this prayer? To every prodigal son and every prodigal daughter that's still out there in the world doing your own thing, here's what your Heavenly Father wants for you. He says, come on home. Come on home, son. Come on home, girl. It's okay. Come as you are. You don't got to take a bath. You don't got to get a haircut. You don't have to get your hurts, habits, and hangups all taken squared away. We'll work on that. Just get on home, because you can't work on that till you get home first. You need me. You need my power. You need my son. You need my spirit in you. So just come as you are, and I will help you. He will love you faithfully. He will love you completely. And and God loves you just the way you are, but He wants you to grow. He loves you too much to not give you any responsibility. He loves you too much to let you stay the the way you are and in the condition you are. So expect um, some help to move in the right direction and some responsibility in your life. He'll help you make the changes for the good. Now, Here's what you got to say back. you got to say, God, thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus Christ, to help me. I don't understand everything He did for me on the cross, but I understand that it shows You love me that much, and I accept Your invitation today to come home. And I want You to make Yourself real to me, and I, I want to believe in You, and I want to ask You to come into my life. Whatever that means... Ready or not, God, here I come. Help me change and be the person that I want to be. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, today for this good audience that has listened so attentively. Thank you for the practicality of what your word teaches us about you and your love. And Lord, I do pray for the parents that are hurting this morning because children have rejected uh, ways and values that they hold dear and we do pray that you would be in control of the things that are beyond our control and help these kids to return to you. Help us as a church here at Crosspoint to help these families and help these people grow and then to understand more about your plan for their lives. Use us, Lord, in any way you see fit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.